0: Good morning. Again, by the way, you guys sounded awesome this morning. Thank you for singing. It's a beautiful thing. A corporate voice being heard. It's beautiful. So thank you for that. We will be in Romans 8 this morning, like we have been for a while now. If you've got a good old paper Bible, we encourage paper Bibles. Because we're old-fashioned, I guess. It's good to have the visual and um, have something in your hand. We have spent a little while in Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for over a year. The theme of the book of Romans is how to be right with God. And we saw sin in our first point, the need for being right with God. We saw justification by faith as our second point, the means for being right with God. And we're in our third point, which is blessings, the results of being right with God. That's where we'll be today. If you're looking, if you've got one of these, anybody got one of these pew Bibles? Pew? Doesn't mean they smell bad, it means that they're usually in a pew. Um, We're going to be on page 944 in these, Um, just so you'll know that. Romans 8, we're going to be focusing on verses 29 and 30. Spoilers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Spoilers? Like when somebody tells you the ending to a book or a TV show or a movie or a big piece of information that's a big reveal in those things. I had a friend. Anybody anybody record sports events and try not to hear what happened and then go home and watch it? Anybody ever try to do that? When I was in high school, I had a friend that was a big Oklahoma Sooners fan. And they were playing Texas, which is one of their big rivalries. And I said, man, let, we're, we're getting a game of football up. He's like, no way, I was playing Texas today. I, must, I said, tape it. Of course, that's back when we had VCRs, video cassette recorders. And um, I said, tape it, and we'll come home and watch it. We won't let anybody tell us. Of course, we didn't have phones in, so we couldn't be checking the score and stuff. So no big deal, right? Tape it. We'll go play football. We'll come home. We'll watch the game. Dude, I'll make you pizza. You know, just just... He's like, no, 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 I'll find out. I'm like, you won't find out. I promise. How are you going to find out? We're going to be playing football. Nobody's watching the game. Okay, okay. So we went. Before we went home, I said, I need to run by my girlfriend's house. That was high school, so it wasn't my wife. Now it was somebody else. (laughs) And uh, edit that out of the recording, please. Um, So we stopped by this girl's house. I said, i got to pick something up from her. So we walk up on the porch, and the first thing she says is, sorry about Oklahoma losing, Bob. I'm like, (laughs) He just turned around and went back. And, didn't and I didn't marry her, so we, we broke up that day. No spoilers here. Um, but spoilers, I spoiled my man Bob's day. You know who else doesn't like spoilers? Will Smith. That guy back there hates spoilers. I mean, dude did not want to know anything. Any thing about the Star Wars movie that came out last December. And how in the world he avoided it, I don't know. But like, you know, if we would be talking about it, he'd be like, don't want to hear he'd walk off, get mad if you said something about it around him. And he really didn't largely made it to the movie without any review. Didn't know the characters, didn't know which is just amazing <laughs> amazing to me. Some people just don't want to know how things end. Well if you're one of those people, you're gonna hate this message. Because it turns out, God is into spoilers. As a matter of fact, the Christian's whole story is told in our passage today. The whole thing from beginning to end. Let's look at it. We're looking, I'm going to read Romans eight twenty six through 30. We're going to focus on 29 and 30 today. So as we read the Word, we just stand one more time out of reverence for the Word. This is the Word of God. Not my voice, but the very voice of God speaking through this Word. That's why we stand. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified." and whom He justified them, He also glorified. Let's pray. God, I pray that what we hear today would be Your very voice, Your very Word. And God, this can be a controversial topic. This can be a divisive topic. And Jesus, You said, You didn't come to bring peace but a sword. But I pray that the sword that proceeds from Your mouth this morning, God, through the Bible, would be a scalpel that does surgery on our hearts. And we know that Your Word pierces to the division of soul and spirit, even to bone and marrow. And Your Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So purify those hearts this morning, God, by the power of your word. Holy Spirit, speak and be heard. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. I don't know how that King James thing happened there. I think Ken ransacked me or something. I'm like, I'm reading it and I'm going, what is, what? I didn't put that up there, but I did. I don't know how or why. Anyway, we usually read from the ESV and the rest of the verses that we use today, except one, will be from the ESV. So. Verse 29 is the first verse that we're going to look at. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So our passage today in verse 29 starts with what word, you Roman studiers? Four. Hey there, for... Been a while, huh? Not really. We seem we see Mr. Four every week, it seems like. Seems like it's Paul's favorite word, four, 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 four. The gospel according to four. So nice to see you again, four. So obviously this passage ties back into what we looked at last week, and man, what did we look at last week? All things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. All things. Are working together for our good, synergizing together by the work of God for our good. So this ties back into that. And actually, we talked last week about context. And we said a text without a context is a pretext. It doesn't mean anything. Or it can mean whatever you want it to mean out of the context. So Romans 8.28, for some people, is a nice, safe little trampoline they can just bounce up and down on. There's boing, boing, all things, all things. And that's good, but it, it misses the whole point. Okay, It misses the context. And actually, this context really goes all the way back to verse 18. Uh, if we're going to get the full context of the thought pattern. Verse 18 said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So that's way back in verse 18. So we started looking at suffering in verse 18 and how it's connected to the Christian life. And as we've worked from there all the way up through last week in verse 28, the focus has been on suffering, groaning, intercession, hope, and the reality of it all working hand in hand in the Christian's life for the Christian's good. And so in verse 28, we see that all of this is working together for the good of the Christian, the ones who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now what we want to look at in these two verses in 29 and 30 from today, we want to see that in conjunction with verse 28. Who is doing this work? What is being done? When was it done? Where was it done? Why was it done? How was it done? Five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Which are great questions to ask when you're reading, studying the Bible, listening to a message. Are they answering the questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how? So we're going to walk through these two verses today and we're literally going to ask those questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and some of you are thinking, we've done this before, we have. And we'll probably do it again in different passages because it's it's a good, thorough way to study. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask these questions and work through this passage. First question I want to ask as we start into this passage, who is doing the work here? Look back at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And then in verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in verse 28, He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. In verse 29, look at the word he. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So who is doing this work in verses 28, 29, and of course in 30 as well? Who is it? God. Whose purpose back in verse 28 is everybody, are the Christians is the Christian called according to. Whose purpose is it? It's God's purpose. Who's doing the work in verse 29 and verse 30? God is doing the work. He is God. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He, 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 He is. And that He, 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 He is, is God. So who's doing the work? God. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, then verse 30, he predestined, he also called, he also justified, he also glorified. Whose purpose? God's. Who is working? God is. God's purpose, God's working. He is the one working here. Now that's very important as we look further into this passage and into this thought pattern. Who is working? Christ the Bible, Jesus, God. God is the worker here. God is doing the work. It's according to God's purpose. So we've answered the who question. God is the who. Now what? What is God doing? In verse 28, He was working all things together for the good of those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. Right? Verse 29, what did He do? He foreknew and He predestined. And then in verse 30, He called, He justified, and He glorified. Some people call that the golden thread of salvation. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, and God glorified the Christian. Now what I want to do is look at those words individually. We're talking about what did God do? We know that God's the worker. What did God do? What is being done by God? First, God foreknew those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. Now what does that mean? God foreknew. The word for foreknew is progenosco. If you were here last week, I said that there are at least two words. There are at least two words translated as know in the New Testament. One was what we saw last week when we said, and we know that for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God, all things work together for good. We know that. Now that word was oida, O-I-D-A in the Greek. And that meant a mental apprehension of something, to know with your brain. And I said then that the other word was genosco, which meant an intimate knowledge, a loving knowledge, like Adam knew his wife Eve, And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. It wasn't like he walked up and said, Hey, I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. Boom, kid. That wasn't what happened. No, it wasn't like, Hey, nice to meet you. Conception, there's an intimate knowing, a loving knowing that is talking about when you talk about Adam knowing his wife. So to know in this sense is different than just a mental assent to something. In verse 29, the word for new is pro which is to know someone intimately, genosco, beforehand, which is the prefix pro, pro to know intimately beforehand. You got a hold of that? So, what does that mean? What does it look like? Let me give you some, some other verses that kind of show this picture a little. Fuller, a little better. Uh, Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Here in Acts, Jesus was delivered up to be crucified according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now some have said and do say that God foreknowing means that God knew something ahead of time. Like He just knew it was going to happen. Like He looked down through the annals of history. Okay, I see that's going to happen. I see that's going to happen. But here in Acts 2, did God just look into history and say, Oh, I see that my son's going to be crucified. Jeez, man, those humans are not nice. Like it was something that just happened by chance through a series of actions caused by man. No, Jesus was delivered up here in Acts 2 according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God knew intimately and definitely that Jesus was to be crucified. He planned it. Okay, let me give you another passage. You say, okay, I see what you're saying, but I don't know that I'm on board with you. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now we see in this passage one of those controversial words. Elect. Peter's writing his letter to those who are elect and what determined their election? According to the foreknowledge of God. According to to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here, foreknowledge is the same root word as our word in Romans 8.29, an intimate knowing and knowing intimately beforehand. And there's one more place I want to look at. There's several, but I want to look at one more. Just to build the case for this word foreknowledge. It is 2 Timothy 2.19. Same basic thought with a different inflection. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now that's not foreknowledge stated here, but it's the same word for knows that's in foreknowledge. Okay. Here the word for knows is genosco, and it means not that the Lord has a mental apprehension of those who are His and doesn't of those who are not. Because that would imply, I know believers, but I don't even know these other creatures. What, what What is that? And that's not how God operates. He's saying that He has an intimate knowledge of those who are His. And what we saw in the book of Romans, what we saw in the book of Acts, what we saw in 1 Peter was, not only does He have an intimate knowledge of them, He intimately foreknew them beforehand. He didn't just foresee it, He foreordained it. We'll get into that more in a minute. It has the thought more of foreordination, not just a cognitive understanding. So in Romans 8.29, we're saying that God, who is the one doing the work in the passage, foreknew some people and He foreknew them intimately, powerfully, and effectually loving them with that knowledge. Not just a cognitive understanding that those people would do something to make themselves known, not just knowing who would express faith in Him before they did it, but more of a foreordination. He loved me ere I knew Him as the old hymn says. That's seen more clearly in the following action mentioned that God took back in Romans 8.29. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Oh, that word. You're like, you're just picking all my favorite yucky words today. And I would say truthfully, when I said predestined, some of you cringed a little. Shook a little in your seat. First, let me say something about predestined. It's not a cuss word. Okay. It's in the Bible. Okay. We're talking about big stuff here today, guys. This is, and let me just say ahead of time, too. No, we will not fully comprehend all of this today. And that's good news, by the way. But this word's not a cuss word. And then there are others of you here that set up in your chair a little straighter and puffed your chest out because this is your pet doctrine. Your bully pulpit that you've taken upon yourself to proselytize the rest of the world to. To you guys, I'd say, calm down. Okay, just calm down. This word, the doctrine of predestination, I love this in the words of Alistair Begg, this doctrine of predestination is not a bomb to be dropped on people or a banner to march out under, but a bastion for the souls of those who are in Christ. Let me read that again. This doctrine of predestination is not a bomb to be dropped on people or a banner to march out under, but a bastion for the souls of those who are in Christ. I'll paint that picture more fully as we go. So what does it mean that whom God foreknew He also predestined? A better question for the context is what did He predestine them for? The text says He predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. In this context, those whom God foreknew, He predestined. He predetermined, He appointed beforehand in eternity past that those whom God foreknew, their ultimate destiny was predetermined. And that destiny was that they would be conformed or take the same form as or be fashioned like unto whom? The image of God's Son. Which is who? Jesus Christ. So get a hold of that. Those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, whom He foreknew, foreloved, they were predetermined, predestined, to be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be conformed to His image. So if God, who is the one doing the work and all of this, set His affection on people in foreknowledge, He predetermined that they would ultimately become like Jesus. And I'm gathering from the context that the image of His Son means that they, or we, if you're a believer, would be fashioned into a being that is so much like Jesus that they look like a carbon copy of Him in every respect, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It's predestined. It's predetermined. To quote Darth Vader which I could turn to a really big spoiler if you haven't seen the Star Wars movies. It is our destiny. And not just our destiny, but our predestined destiny. Our predestined destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ if God has foreknown us. Some of you are going, I don't know, stay with me. And I want to jump here in our process of our five W's and an H, who, what? And insert a W. Okay, God is the who that is working. We've seen two parts of what He is doing. And now let me ask the when question. When did this, or is this, or will this work happen? That's a little tricky between the two verses. When did God foreknow these people? When did He predestinate that they would be conformed to the image of of His Son. One way we can answer this is to ask, when did God know that He would save anyone? Two monster passages here. Monster passages to answer this question. When did the foreknowledge, when did the predestination happen? Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6. Man, that's a mouth full there. Now let's just take the face value of the verses and answer the question. When did God do His choosing? Verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Now stay with me. Don't check out and shake your head yet. Next passage is Revelation chapter 13, verses 6 through 8. Speaking here of the beast who allies himself with the Antichrist and who's doing the Antichrist's bidding, John records the words of God in verses 6 through 8 of Revelation 13. He says, It, the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Now check this out. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now in line with our when question, when were the names written in the book of life? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Before there was a world created. So from these two texts, the Ephesians text and the Revelation text, and there are others, we can discern that God's foreknowledge, God's predestining were done before the foundation of the world, or in other words, somewhere in eternity past. Now, as we move into verse thirty, we'll see that those whom he foreknew and predestined, he also called, justified, and glorified. Now, when were those done, or when will these be done, or when are they? Done? What? When? Where? What? What? Who? What? When? In verse thirty. In the progression, they are after the foreknowledge and the predestining, right? Predue, predestined, He also called, justified and glorified. So when was that done? After the foreknowledge and the predestining, but at a certain point in time. And this is what I would say to you. When you were born again, you were called, you were justified and you were glorified. Hmm. What? So that when question here is answered by saying they happened when you were born again. Let's put a pin in that, okay? just going to put a pin in that and hang it up there for you to look at. We're going to come back to it. Not done with that yet. But we need to look at what it means to be called, justified, and glorified before we can definitively answer when it happened. And then we'll look at the timing of it put in context. Romans 8.30, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now we looked at calling a little bit in Romans 8.28 when it said that all things work together for those who are called according to God's purpose. Now what does called mean? Now let me just say that in our cellular saturated world, it doesn't mean that God called somebody on the phone. Now imagine that coming up on your caller ID. God. God, God's calling me. Hello? (laughs) No. Called means something much bigger, much better than that. The authorized version translates the word for called as call to bid, or to be so named. It means to call, to call in a loud voice, to invite, to call by name, or to be called. The picture that comes to mind for me here is Jesus at Lazarus' tomb in John 11. At the tomb, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the guy who was dead came hopping out of the tomb with his hands and feet bound. Now bring that into your calling. At some point in time, Jesus calls you in a loud voice with a calling that gives you life. Jason, come out! And I come out of the tomb I've been in till that point, the calling giving me the life I did not have. That's calling. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, is what Ephesians 2 says. Now let's look at that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says, and think about it in terms of your calling and in the thought pattern of Lazarus. Look at your call here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a mouthful. That's a lot of information there. That is some big stuff when you look at this Ephesians passage in light of your calling. So, think about that. Think about your calling and how you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and God called you out. And if you want to, you can go ahead and see our justification and our glorification here. You were dead. And God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Again, Jason, come out! That's the calling. And verse 6 says, "...and raised us up with Him," which is justification. "...He made us right with Himself by placing us in Christ, and in the same breath, in the same moment, He seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." That is glorification. So God called, justified, and glorified all in one fell swoop. And, and and who did it? God did it. God is the worker in both the Romans passage and the Ephesians passage. Foreknown by God in eternity past, predestined by the same God in eternity past, and then at a certain point in time, you were born again, you were called, justified, and glorified by that same God and Father. That's big. Now, bring all this back into Romans 8. As we suffer, Paul says it's not worth comparing to the glory we will have in heaven in eternity. That was back in verse 18. And then he describes our suffering, our groaning, and how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then he says that God is causing it all to work together for our good and says, For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And whom He foreknew, He called. And whom He called, He justified. And whom He justified, He also glorified. Do you see the connection? As we suffer, we can know that all things are working together for our good because we are in the firm grasp of God's plan from eternity past that cannot be altered. Since He foreknew us, He predetermined that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. And so He called us, justified us, and glorified us to ensure that it will happen. So whatever is going on is His plan, and it's in the plan according to His will to conform me to the image of His Son, which is my ultimate good. So I can trust Him. I can rest in Him, rejoice in Him, glorify Him as He's working in and through me. In and through me. That's just huge to think about. So as I go about, I look at what He's doing, and in the hardest, worst, most painful times of my life, I'm reminded that from eternity past, my future was, is, and will be certain. I will be conformed to the image of Christ. No doubt, no question, no fear there. But why? Why is that true? We saw the who, that was God. We've seen what? He is working. We've seen when. In eternity past, we were foreknown and predestined, and at a certain point in time, we were called, justified, and glorified. Where? We didn't directly answer that, but we can say it happened in heaven, where the Trinity sealed our destiny and where we are sure to go. How? By God's doing. 1 Corinthians 1.30 in the New American Standard Bible says, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who, what, when, where, how, but why? Why did God do this and why did He do it the way that He did it? Now that's a pretty important question. And if you're following closely, you might realize that we left out a section of the passage from today in our asking the other questions. Let's reread verses 29 and 30 again and see if you can spot the why. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Why? Why is God working all things together for my good? Why did He foreknow me and predestine me and call me and justify me and glorify me? Why was He so amazingly gracious to me? Why? Did you see it? In order that... In order that what? In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Who might be the firstborn among many brothers? Who? Jesus, whose image we are being conformed to. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, wait a second. I thought this was about my good and my destiny. Oh, it is. But your destiny and my destiny are tied directly in with Jesus' destiny, which is awesome, because God's delight is in us, because we are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who said a sinner's prayer. Now maybe, but that's not what the verse says. For those who are in Christ Jesus. God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to what? To His purpose. And what is His purpose? Now listen, I'm going to bring in an outside text here. Not outside the Bible, outside of Romans, to answer the question, "What is God's purpose?" We saw that it was that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. But look at Colossians chapter one verses fifteen through eighteen. It should just be a few pages over. Well, several pages over. Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn, G E P C. Gentiles eat pork chops. What is God's purpose? Colossians 1, 15 through 18 gives us the answer and, and it gives us a good connection to our text today. Speaking of Christ, Paul writes to the Colossians and says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. You see the end of verse 18 there? If you didn't see it, you probably heard it. That in everything He might be preeminent. Now what does that mean? The word for preeminent here in verse 18 of Colossians 1 is is protos, and it means to hold the first place. So the purpose of the Colossians passage was so that Jesus might hold the first place in what? In everything. Now go back to Romans 8.29. Why was all this Romans 8 stuff done? In order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word for firstborn is prototakos, not Taco Tuesday. The S is not silent. Prototokos. P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-S. Prototokos. That's firstborn. And it means, just what it's translated as, firstborn. So He was the firstborn son, the prototokos, when He took on flesh and that secured our salvation. Why? So that He might be preeminent, the one in first place, protos and everything. So all this Romans 8 stuff that we get phantasmically good stuff from is actually not ultimately for... Us. It's for Christ! God foreknew us, predestined us, called us, justified us, and glorified us so that Jesus would be the firstborn and have first place in everything. God's purpose that we are called according to is that Jesus Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren, which is us, and that He would have first place in everything. So all this good stuff we get is surely good for us, but our blessing is a byproduct of God's plan to give Jesus first place in everything. Which may kind of feel like a bummer. Oh, it's not about me. And it can feel that way because it means that because it ultimately is great for us, but it's not really about us. But it really is good news. It's not a bummer because it ultimately is great for us because it means that all my good is bound up in Jesus having first place in everything. All my good. And guess what? He does have first place in everything. And He will have first place in everything. So my good is secured and guaranteed. Do you get that? How can I know that all things are working together for my good? Because my good is intertwined with Christ being glorified, and all of history is working toward Christ being glorified, so my good is assured. God's purpose is not so that Jason will be blessed, but if Christ is exalted, Jason does get blessed. Your salvation is good, but the reason God is working it out is so that Christ will be glorified. And nothing is more important to God than Christ being glorified. So my salvation has been assured in eternity past so that God's purpose, which is Christ's glorification, can come to be. I am predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and that will happen because it's God's plan and God's plan is for Jesus to be the firstborn among many brethren. This thing is sealed up airtight. There are no misfires, no failures, no chance of God not getting what God foreknew and predestined to happen. And notice that. If God foreknows someone, it leads to glorification. It's the way it works. Every time. Period. No dropouts, no failures, no whoopsies, that one didn't make it. You say, what about Judas? Jesus said, did I not call you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus knew that was going to happen. He was pre-appointed for that. Think about what God said about Pharaoh. He said, for this purpose I raised you up that I might glorify myself through you. As he hardened his heart and he recalcitrated it and he bent his back and stiffened his neck and said... No Hebrew God's going to tell me what to do. God said, for this very purpose, I raised you up. We're getting there. How do we tie this up? What's the application for us? Let me give you three spoilers for application. First, as a Christian, the end of your story is really, really secure. Our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification are so done, they are referred to in the past tense in these verses. And it's all tied up in God's plan to glorify His Son, which is going to happen. Spoiler alert, it's good. It's secure. It's going to happen and since it will, our benefits are contained in that, which means that it cannot fail and that our benefits are guaranteed too. We can take it to the bank... Believe it's all for our good and glorify God in the process because He cannot and will not fail Christ and we are united to Christ. So that's pretty secure. Second, know that God knows the beginning and the ending of your story. He's the writer, the director, the producer and the main star of the show. He has a plan that is set in heaven and He is working it to perfection. And guess what? You cannot and you will not be able to figure out all the ins and outs of His plan. You can't. His foreknowledge and His predestination of us is way out of our league to try to figure out. And that's good. I don't want a God that's easy to figure out, who operates on a plane just like me, who has to do only what I can do or think that He should do. This bigness puts His plans out of our ability to fathom. But it also puts His plans out of any realm where they can fail. The God that the Bible shows us operates in power so far above anything that we can think or imagine. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. And all that power is directed toward us to guarantee our good so that His Son gets the glory for it. Before we go to the last application point, Paul says this in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways!' For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. You're like, well, this stuff just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like that's the way it should be. I feel that way too. I really do. And sometimes I feel it On the other realm, why in the world would I get benefit? We sing how deep the Father's love for us. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Oh, we want to point the finger at God here. Why would you do this? Why would you not foreknow everybody? Romans nine, ten, and 11, will deal with that in detail, so stay with us. But I would say this, before you accuse God, be very, very careful because this application point is saying He's the writer, He's the director, He's the producer, He's the main star. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things, and He is way bigger than you are. Amen. And that's good news. So spoiler number one, application point one, was that you're really secure. The end of your story is written. Point two, God is big, knows the end of your story because He wrote it. And finally, as a Christian, point three, I know how your story ends. Your final destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ." Did you hear that? In all my failings, all my fallings, all my flailings, God is moving all of history along a path that leads to Christians becoming like Jesus. Me. I'm from Helen. I spit in God's face every day. I choose to sin willfully every day. Why should I gain from His reward? God, You're going to turn me and conform me to the image of Christ? Yep. And that has always been God's plan from before the foundation of the world. God who existed in eternity past in perfect glory, needing nothing, in perfect fellowship within Himself as the triune God, developed a plan to create a universe in which men would be created beings and those created beings created in the image of God Himself would be recreated and ultimately be so much like God the Son that they would be said to be conformed to His image and be His brethren. But sin, yep, God saw it. God knew it. God didn't have to change plans, shift gears in the garden and go, oh no, they picked the fruit. Oh, great. Plan B. That's not what happened. Because before the foundation of the world, He had a book with your name in it, Christian. Before the foundation of the world, He set His affection on you. And he said, I'm going to turn him into a little Christ. That's what Christian literally means, little Christ. Little brother, I've got a plan. And it's secure from eternity past. So from eternity past and into eternity future... God's plan is for Jesus Christ to be first, but not just first, first among many brethren. And that's us, Christians. We, as believers, will be shaped, molded, and forged through the fires and trials of this life, and we will come out looking just like Jesus. That is a promise of future glory that is so much greater than the badness of the suffering of this world. And listen... It is sure and has been from eternity past. Yes! Yes! But what if I'm not a Christian? You may be asking, do I have a choice here? Or is it set in stone according to a predetermined plan that I have no say in? Why should I even bother? I don't have a choice but you do. Anybody ever listen to J. Vernon McGee through the Bible? I'm going to reach back a little bit on you there. I love the way he puts this. He actually says he said it on the show and he said it in his commentary. He says that the outside walls of heaven invite all who will to come. To all who will come. Jesus Himself said, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus also said, Anyone who comes to Me, I will never cast out. And then J. Vernon McGee says, When you get into heaven, it will say on the inside walls, Elect from before the foundation of the world. To which I say, Yes. Yes. Listen to me. If you are being convicted of your sins and have an awareness of your need for a Savior, respond to that by looking away from your sins to the work of Jesus to pay the penalty for those sins. He's already done it. Nobody who has a desire to come to Him will be turned away. Amen. So come, sinner, and look to Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. That twinge, that conviction. <gasps> is Jesus calling you and he's saying, come forth. And that calling breathes life into your body. And you come and say, here am I, sinner. Jesus said, I know. I know your story. I know you're hurting. I know that you have been beat down by the God of this world and I want to offer you a hope and a future. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light because it has been preordained, foreknown, predestined from eternity past. I will carry the load and I will conform you to my image. Holy Spirit, speak life in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, call men and women to salvation this morning. Because only you can. Your calling, Holy Spirit, is effectual. It is life-giving. It is regenerating. And I pray that in this place this morning, that your voice would be heard clearly, loudly come forth. I would say, folks, that if you have questions about that, please find me, Don, some other people here that you can ask, and we'd love to talk to you about these things. We would love to tell you the story that God has been telling since eternity past, and the story that will be proclaimed into eternity future. And let me give you a little spoiler about that story. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We just stand and receive a benediction. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks, guys.